My name is Marie LeConte. Welcome to The Bunker. It's fair to say that the centre-right hasn't had a great time recently. Even though David Cameron gained power in 2010 by dragging his party back towards the centre, the past few years have seen the Conservatives drifting further and further towards the right. Why did it happen? How can the centrists in the party gain power again? Actually, why should they gain power again? In order to try and answer these questions, a group of Conservatives led by David Gork has released a book called The Case for the Centre-Right. A former MP and Cabinet Minister, Gork is here with me today to discuss the new book. Hi, David. Hello. So w- w- why decide to make that case now? Like, w- what is it about the timing of late 2023? I think now is about the right time to make the case. Arguably, it's a case that should have been made um, earlier. But um, given the prospects at the next general election for the Conservative Party are sort of pretty daunting, and there is already a, a, a big debate about the future of centre-right politics... Now, I think, is the time to say, look, let's not go down the temptation of further pursuing populism, uh, of turning the Conservative Party or the sort of dominant voice on the centre-right being one which is about uh, nationalism, is about sort of social authoritarianism. That is going to be a cul-de-sac for the centre-right in this country. We have a population that is becoming... Uh, better educated, more liberal, in many respects much more internationalist than was the case before. And if what the centre-right is about, or the right of centre politics is about, is banging on about Brexit, um, pulling up the drawbridge on immigration, Trying to return to sort of family values, as we, we've heard from the sort of the national conservatives, um, that is just going to further alienate those voters, and it's not going to be good for the country. You know, we, we, the view that I think we all have is that the country benefits from centre-right politics, liberal centre-right politics, that is sort of you know, economically focused and recognises the world is changing. But actually, sort of on that note, so it's probably fair to say that the centre-right needs to change quite dramatically, because this is a massive oversimplification. But when you look at the kind of Cameroon, Osbornism, whatever you want to call it, of kind of being broadly, you know, quite centrist on social issues, but then more to the right on economics issues. Like If you look at the polling right now, like that's no longer something that really has a massive constituency in the country. So how how does the centre-right have to change to appeal to people? Again, in, you know, 2023, not in 2010 or 2015? I think it's right to say is that you you can't just go back to a particular point in time and pursue the policies that were um, pursued at that point in time. You have to uh, adjust to different circumstances. I I personally think that the case is pretty clear that the public services need to be properly funded. And I I think there has to be a sort of recognition that that is going to be Part of where our, you know, where the direction in which our country is 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 going to go, um, but I think you you still got to sort of start off from uh, the point of view that what what do we think is right for the country, and you know at the moment you know it is no great surprise that there's a sort of mood for mood for change, and no great surprise that uh, a more interventionist approach to the economy is 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 very fashionable. Uh, and, and of course, there is a role for the state and government. We've got an essay from Michael Heseltine making you know, very much that that case. But I think the sort of approach of you know, recognizing trade offs, 
being driven by evidence, a sort of pluralist approach, if you like, um, a recognition of the importance of our institutions that have been, to some extent, under attack from the right in recent years, uh, the recognition that our economy requires a uh, close and practical relationship with the European Union. Uh, it also requires us to have an immigration policy uh, that recognizes the economic benefits of letting people into this country who can contribute. Yeah, those those values, I think, still remain you know, valid and relevant. And accepting that in terms of where sort of public opinion is at the moment, that that aspect of conservatism, I think, has has become diminished. But the realities are, you know, you still got to deliver a strong economy if you want good public services. You still got to have pro-business approaches. You need strong institutions to deliver that economic growth. And somebody needs to be making that case. But actually, who's the book for? Like, what audience do you do you kind of have in mind when you pitch the book? Because, you know, obviously, please do not be offended by this, but... I think I'm assuming it will not be a kind of like Richard Osman level bestseller, you know, selling millions of copies across Britain. So like, who who did you have in mind when you thought, actually, this is a case that needs to be made right now? I hope it's of interest uh, to uh, everyone who is who has got a, a strong interest in British politics, because I think even if you're looking at it from the perspective of the left of centre, you know, what happens on the right of centre still really matters. Uh, but I suppose the particular group that we want to um, uh, engage, uh, many of those people who feel politically homeless at the moment, uh, who have perhaps traditionally voted Conservative but felt that the Conservative Party has moved away from them in terms of their values and indeed performance in office, and to say, look, there are... You know, there are voices out there that share your views, um, and you know, now is the time to be articulating uh, those views. And I think some of those people will still be in the Conservative Party, some will be ex-Conservative, some might be not aligned at all, but who feel that our politics has taken the, a wrong turn, and in particular, the politics of the of the right of British politics has taken the wrong turn. Um, that it's it's it it's it's narrowed its appeal. Um, it worked very successfully in 2019, but we argue the case why that's unlikely to be replicated in future. And I think if we can appeal to those those people and say, look, you know, here is a book setting out sort of set of values and indeed a set of you know some policies. It's not a manifesto; not everybody signs up to every aspect of it, but a sort of set of policies about how the centre right can reemerge as a as a thoughtful place with ideas. Um, and with a sort of sense of how we can make the UK succeed in future. Mm. And how much soul-searching do you think the centre-right should be doing in the kind of foreseeable future? Because I think a lot of the essays in the book do talk quite a lot about Boris Johnson and kind of what he did in the Brexit aftermath, etc. But, but, you know, we can't forget the fact that actually Boris Johnson never would have become a party leader and prime minister if it hadn't been for actually quite a few one nation and more traditionally centre-right conservative MPs voting for him in the leadership contest. Um, and, you know, and even including some voting for Liz Truss afterwards. So how how do you deal with the fact that actually a lot of what has gone wrong for the centre-right partly came from actually um, more traditionally centre-right MPs um, 
still, I guess, but either voting against their, you know, sort of like beliefs or self-interest or deciding to go with the flow or however you want to call it. How, how do you deal with the kind of guilt, I suppose, that the centre-right probably should have uh, in, in the events of the past kind of five, six, seven years? Well, I, I think it'd be fair to say that um, some might find this a little uncomfortable reading. And if you were kind of on the centre-right and was an enthusiast for Boris Johnson, there are essays in this uh, book that particularly will feel a bit uncomfortable. Uh, I think one of the weaknesses, actually, of of the sort of the, the the centrist side of the parliamentary Conservative Party is if you look at all the sort of leadership elections uh, that we've had, including in particular the one in twenty nineteen, that vote sort of split off in every single direction, uh, and there is always a tendency, I think, on on the sort of centrist side of the Conservative Party to try to accommodate uh, those of other views of seeking a compromise, of not wanting to rock the boat, of just ensuring that the party holds together because that's the most important thing. And I think that's that's part of the cause of, of, of some of the difficulties that we have had um, and a kind of willingness to dig in i think there's also you know frankly the, the the power of the party membership in the conservative party and the fact that that membership has changed quite a lot has been sort of quite an intimidating factor so that you know by and large those those who rather dug in back in 2019 uh, are no longer in parliament um there are some exceptions but but by and large that that has happened um but no i do think that you know when you look at it for example boris johnson uh, should not have been facilitated by the Conservative Party. Um, I think the Conservative Party knew what it was getting and um, shouldn't have gone down that route. Not many things I could say in fairness to him, but actually one of them is actually he's never hidden who he was. Obviously, like a way back, electorally speaking, kind of internally in the party, has to go through the Tory party membership at the end of the day. Like There's kind of no other way, really. So how how optimistic are you about that, knowing how the last two contests went and, as you've just pointed out, how the membership has changed? If, if I was to guess what happens, and of course there's always a lot of uncertainty, if I was to guess, I fear that the next step the Conservative Party will take will be in the wrong direction. I, I think you know, if, if the Conservatives lose the next election, Rishi Sunak resigns. Um, my, you know, my best guess is, is that the Conservative Party will choose someone who will be on the kind of populist, nationalist side of the party. I hope I'm wrong. Um, it truth doesn't require vast numbers of centrist-minded people to join the Conservative Party to stop that happening, but I think the likelihood is um, that that's that's going to be the next step. But I, I think it'll be fairly clear, fairly quickly, that that is the wrong move. Don't think that's what the country wants. If you look at the Brexit issue, for example, um, a hardline Brexit position is increasingly uh, unpopular. Uh, and then I think there is, uh, you know, perhaps the opportunity for the Conservative Party to learn quickly, for that to be an experiment that fails fast, and and for the party to to try to broaden its appeal, um, because as I say, fundamentally, I think it's in a bit of a cul-de-sac, and if it keeps on going down that route, it's going to have failed to, to attract new supporters. It's going to lose a few more of its existing ones. And there isn't, in truth, a kind of route back to a to to that type of Conservative Party being popular uh, in a, in the modern Britain. 
Um, but yeah, the honest answer is I'm not that optimistic in the short term, but I think it's all to play for in the longer term. I found it quite striking that um, of the essays in the book, so all of them were written by people who were kind of former MPs, former special advisors, etc. So there are no currently serving sort of like commons politicians who've written uh, an essay for the case with the centre right. So what, what, was that a conscious choice, or did it just you know sort of happen? And like what 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 happened there? I suppose yeah, it, it was a choice. I, I decided. I mean, I did. There were some Conservative MPs I thought about asking uh, to contribute, but I felt if I'd ask them to contribute, it might have constrained what we could say, um, because I wouldn't want to put anybody in a difficult or embarrassing position here. And if I had gone to, to some conservative MPs who could have contributed very good essays, I didn't want them to be having to sort of tread very, very carefully that sort of somehow that gets them into trouble um, by anything that any other essay says or anything that anyone says you know, in the context of this uh, publication, you know, I, I wanted to be able to sort of you know, talk to you, Marie, completely sort of openly and honestly, not worrying about whether there was some conservative MP who was going to be hugely embarrassed by anything I said. Um, so I felt it was probably easier all round to uh, restrict it to those who who were not in Parliament. Mm, no, that's very reasonable. And I guess on a slightly more positive note, and I guess looking to the future again, like who who are the young kind of new centre-right politicians you're excited about? So either currently in Parliament or, you know, maybe having been selected for one of the three and a half winnable seats of the next election? <laughs> well, I think the, um, again, not wanting to cause any current or future MPs any embarrassment, I might duck that question. I'm not <laughs> sure that they'd necessarily find it very helpful. Uh, having edited this book, uh, to then sort of say, you know what, there's this there's this candidate in you know, Market Snodsbury who I think is absolutely fantastic and uh, will really take these populists on. Um, and uh, it's amazing that he or she has been selected, um, but they're just the person that we need. I, I, I'm not going to fall into that, uh, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Track, but I, okay, so with, without naming any names in that case, how do you feel about the current crop of, let's say, kind of, you know, rising stars in the Conservative Party and the people who've been selected? Again, we, we don't have to name anyone, but how, you know, do you feel that, well, you know, that there is a new generation coming in or not? Well, to, to be honest, from what I've, I've seen and what I know about the, the selections in, in winnable seats for the next parliament, and you know, there is always that question as which seats will turn out to be won as well as appearing winnable at the moment. But, but actually, I think there does seem to be a, a bit of a broader base. So the sort of sense that everybody has to be fully signed up to a hard Brexit uh, in the way that was the case in 2019 um, that doesn't seem to me to be happening quite the same way. And you do, I mean, you do hear stories about how, particularly in what could, is, is, is described as the blue wall, um, that, that candidates with you know, much more sort of liberal, moderate positions uh, are, are favoured and have done pretty well in terms of selection. So, so I think there are some signs of encouragement there but let's see and let's you know see on the other side of the general election it's also the case that you know quite a lot of 
established um, One Nation Conservatives are standing down or at risk of losing their seats. So the composition of the Conservative Party after the general election is one where there's you know, some uncertainty. Mm. Um, but actually kind of talking about the election and the, the party on the other side, like pr- presumably it would have been easier for the Conservatives to be the kind of traditional centrist, centre-right party back when the, you know, back when the Labour Party was actually really quite left-wing. See, they've come back massively towards the centre now. So where, like, how do you find a space? Let, let's say tomorrow, you know, your, your guys kind of come back in, like, your, your guys who we will not name, uh, come in and recreate a kind of very centrist, centre-right Conservative Party. That Where do they find that kind of electoral policy space if the Labour Party is also massively pitching for the centre? Well, I think there's a sort of big question, Mark, about what the Labour Party will do uh, in office. I mean, I certainly welcome the fact that they've abandoned you know, Corbynism, uh, and that I think is is good for the country. But look, you know, if we are to succeed as a as as a country, and that I think has to be the sort of first question. I think it would be helpful if we've got two parties that are you know essentially responsible, led by people who are capable and diligent and motivated by the public good uh, and uh, a set of values that is 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 a practical and workable and you know to be honest neither party offered that in my view in 2019 there's an excellent essay by Danny Finkelstein in the in in the book where he he looks at what what is it that distinguishes the center right from the center left and, and argues that to, to a large extent, this is about temperament. This is about a degree of caution, uh, a suspicion of you know big utopian ideas, a, a sort of recognition that change should be done you know, very carefully. Um, I, I think that's in tune with um, the general public attitudes. But by and large, that moderate centre-right approach has been very, very successful in UK politics for a very long time. Now, of course, the world does change and, and politics has to change as a consequence. But I do still think that there is appetite for liberal centre-right values. You know, I don't think Keir Starmer is that intimidating a figure uh, that he's going to kind of close off all the space available for those who uh, hold, hold a, a, a different view to him, but also um, want to reject the, the, the populism and nationalism that we have sometimes seen from the Conservative Party in recent years. Hmm. Okay, and um, just to finish, I'm going to ask you for two elevator pitches. So the first one is, this is being beamed down to the nation. What's your elevator pitch for the centre-right in sort of like two sentences max? No pressure. <laughs> No pressure. Right. Okay. Uh, So uh, if we want to be a prosperous, secure and united country, the values of pro-business, internationalist, fiscally responsible, uh, environmentally responsible, uh, centre-right politics can help deliver that and ensure that this country re-establishes its reputation in the world and delivers for the British people. Cool. Second one. Uh, so this time you're talking to former colleagues like Conservative MPs and Conservative members. Like what, what's your pitch for, and this is similar, but I think is a slightly different case. So what's your pitch for uh, why they should want the centre-right to regain power on a kind of more internal level? If we want the centre-right to prosper over the decades ahead, 
it has to recognize how the country is changing and it has to address the issues that younger part of the electorate is interested in we cannot be just the party of um the older people upset at cultural change we have to broaden our base and that means recognizing the case for liberal internationalist fiscally responsible pro-business values and ensure that the conservative party can appeal to a new generation of voters Oh, thank you. I, I feel like that was definitely more than two sentences, but we can maybe get away it with was, it by I saying cheated, that. It was sorry. kind of like a French novel. You know, those French novels with like every sentence has 17 commas. Like, we can just say it was one of those. Yeah, like, I, I was using semicolons with, <laughs> with abandon there. No, I could hear them all good. Um, that was fascinating. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get access to episodes early and without adverts, as well as exclusive offers on merchandise. I'm Marie LeCompte, and you are listening to The Bunker. Good news! Your favourite history nerds are back! Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well... I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. Bunker was presented by Marie Leconte and produced by Chris Jones. Assistant producer Adam Wright, audio producer Robin Lieber, art by Jim Parrott, socials by Jess Harpin, and music by Kenny Dickinson. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>